took us four weeks to get through the first 16 verses, so that should tell us something. <laughs> so justification. It's going to start on verses eight, uh, ver verse 18. Remember, the first several chapters are broken up into justification, sanctification, glorification. So now we're going to kind of jump into justification. Um, they're all sort of split in within all those chapters as well. So justification, it means to be declared righteous. It's in a judicial legal sense. Um, it does not necessarily mean the believer has been justified, right? It just means that God declares the believer righteous, right? The believer actually isn't righteous yet, right? It will be gaining and gaining and gaining more and more. It won't be righteous really until we are glorified, right? But God declares them righteous. Um, so it has to do with God's pronouncement or an announcement concerning the sinner, not, not with any change really uh, occurring within the sinner. We know, we know that to be true from our own personal lives. We might be sinners. We come to know the Lord. Are we sinless? Of course not, right? We just actually become more aware of our sin as we mature and as we grow, right? Um, so justification doesn't make you holy, right? It's rather it's God declaring the sinner is no longer guilty before him, right? So you're, we're normally under God's wrath, and now you're in Christ. That position is God declaring you uh, not condemned, right? So he will declare or justify a sinner uh, once they have faith in Christ. That declaration is the result of the faith, of faith in Christ to the believer. So to fully understand that concept, Paul has to kind of go through that every human being is a sinner, right? What a sinner is, the need for a savior, what sin is, what unrighteousness is, what ungodliness is. So unless a person recognizes that what, how God sees them in condemnation, um, they're never going to come to him for salvation, right? You've got to understand God's condemnation, God's wrath on you to recognize that you're worthy of the wrath, but there's hope, and the hope is found in faith in Jesus Christ, his son, right? So Paul is going to address this concept, um, the concept of justification, but first he's going to address the concept of sin. So the first several areas here are going to be what sin is and what condemnation is. And so, a, so we're in 2A, um, the universal need of righteousness. So he's going to kind of go through and show that no matter what position you have in society, meaning you're a president or you're homeless, everywhere in between, you're a sinner, right? You have to recognize that you're a sinner in the eyes of God. And so that's, that's what Paul is going to sort of start spelling out because all are sin, guilty of sin, all are under condemnation. Um, so there's a universal need for, for righteousness among people. In fact, that's what most of the world religions and points of views and perspectives are, are really how can you obtain righteousness, right? And Christianity being the only one that's based upon grace, all the other belief systems basically try to tell you how to be righteous according to their, sim their systems, right? Um, from being self-righteous of doing good, good deeds to, you know, giving tithes or doing anything that you can think of in a religious-based system, 
there's a human desire to be righteous, right? To be right, to be just. Um, and so that's what basically all of the world's religions and belief systems are how to reach that righteousness. But Paul is going to discuss that that's impossible. Without God, it's impossible. So first he's going to discuss the Gentile world or the Greek world, and then he'll discuss the Jewish world, showing that it's universal. Remember, at this point in time, there is two camps of people, the Jews and the, G and the Greeks, right? And then we just learned that Paul will be teaching them about a third part, the, the body of believers that are Jews and Greeks, right? Okay, so first it's going to be from 118 to 216, it's going to be the guilt of the Gentiles. Um, and so they have a, we just delineate, the Greeks would delineate themselves of cultured and uncultured, barbarians or educated, right? They're, but regardless, they're all under condemnation. So let's see God's wrath. Let someone read verse 18, 118. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Suppress the truth, right? So the righteousness of God, meaning the, 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 the justice, the holiness, the perfectionness of God is revealed because his wrath is revealed. Because his wrath has been revealed, we know his righteousness is revealed too, right? So the need for the gospel comes out of that premise that God's wrath has been revealed. So just kind of bear with me because Paul, I should say bear with Paul, Paul kind of says, says these things without explaining them yet. We'll, we'll get to what God's righteousness is, but because his wrath has been revealed, his righteousness is revealed. Um, this isn't the wrath of the tribulation, right? It's actually the present wrath of God against all ungodliness and, and unrighteousness of men. And we're going to see in his wrath, God shows his displeasure with ungodliness and sin. Um, a person who refuses to give honor to God is considered to be godless, right? And so we know in our own cultures and in cultures in the past, Humanity tends to live as if there is no God, right? There's that God doesn't exist. It's this type of godliness that God's wrath um, is going to, is being revealed. And we're going to see in, in, in how, how it is revealed shortly here. So again, we, we kind of went over last week. There's two, two aspects of man's sin that God's wrath is against, and it's ungodliness and unrighteousness. Ungodliness is uh, it's regarding... The failure of man, his belief systems, remember those, those, the failure of man's uh, desire to be righteous with, by not acknowledging God, though. They try to be righteous, and it's a failure because it doesn't transform the person. It doesn't make them any more righteous. It doesn't transform humanity as a whole. So ungodliness has to do with an effort to be like God without giving him honor, giving him due, giving him due respect. Um, and then unrighteousness is a personal uh, aspect that has to do with the moral, the morality, the moral sphere. Um, and God's wrath is against both of those. Ungodliness, right? The belief system or an idea or a perspective, a corporate worldviews. And then unrighteousness is, a, is the individual moral aspect. So both collectively and individually, God's wrath is revealed or it can be seen, it can be known. Um, so we saw that 
they suppress the truth, right? They, they, who hinder the truth in unrighteousness. Um, so Paul is saying these Gentiles or pagans, they're guilty of hindering the knowledge of God and holding the truth in unrighteousness. Um, the sin is committed not because there's a lack of, of uh, revelation. It's not a lack that they don't know of. They can't see it because they can see it, right? We're going to see the pagan world does receive some amount of revelation. It can know certain things about God um, because there's a degree of that revelation. It's obvious to, and it's available to all people. Yet the response is negative to it. They're not giving God the glory that is due by him revealing those things. So rather than taking that revelation or that knowledge of God, and what they do is they hinder the truth, they suppress the truth, they hide the truth, right? Um, and they do that, that's what unrighteousness is, not giving God the glory for what it is. So they're unrighteous because they suppress it. Um, as we know, the pagan world does possess some aspects of truth, um, even, even how limited or how twisted they might make it, it's still, there is still truth. It's a suppressed by their unrighteous living. So the wrath of God as a result of them suppressing the truth is, his, is an act of God. Actually, God is actively promoting wrath to the unrighteousness of people. Um, it's a result of humanity rejecting his glory, his revelation, and they, they reject it because of sin, right? The unrighteousness and, and, um, and ungodliness. And it's progressing. Their sin is progressing. So this wrath is universal because all men can see and all men can respond positively, but they don't. And that resistance to truth is, God's, is, is what's going to reveal God's wrath in their lives. Are we good? Okay, so verses 18 and 19 are going to give us more details of the reason of God's wrath. Someone would read 18 and 19, please. Didn't we read 17? Oh, sorry. Uh, yes, 19. <laughs> Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. Okay, let me fix this here, yes. Okay, more reasons, right? For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So there are things that can be known of God. Even the pagan world, they don't have any scriptures, but they can see things, right? Um, the knowledge is made known to them. It's imprinted in their hearts. Paul will go on later and talk about the law being written on their hearts, right? And their consciences. Most every, most every culture, every tribe views murder and rape as wrong. Right, in some sense. And when they murder, they justify it for some other sense, right? some other reason. Um, but there are universal principles across all cultures um, that, that suggest there is a law written on everybody's heart, and one, one example is that. Because um, he's made every man in his image, and within that image is an imprint of God's holiness and God's righteousness. Um, so it's not, it's not that they're just unknowing or ignorant of God, they are willfully rejecting and suppressing the light that God has given them. They don't know, they may not know yet, excuse me, who Christ is, but they know there's a deity, there's a divinity, and that divinity is powerful, right? And that divinity is righteous. So Paul is saying in verse 20 that all humanity has a sufficient amount of natural revelation 
both imprinted in them and they can see it, to know something about God. So let's read verse 20. without excuse right so this is general revelation general revelation um, is the fact that there are certain visible things right that are evidences of the invisible God right we all can look around anyone can look around and see that the world exists you're you're really an idiot a fool if you think that it just it came out of nowhere right it just boom there it is you've got to really kind of be an ignorant fool to believe that not to say that that's going to point you to Christ yet but there's something bigger and much more powerful than you are, right? Or any man could make. Um, there's stars in the heaven, the sun, you know, all these things. And um, these, these celestial bodies that God has put there is a revealing of himself, right? Um, and then within the heart of man is a revealing of God's righteousness and God's holiness. Um, so... Again, the celestial bodies, they're enough to reveal to the pagan world two, two major things. First, is he, he or this thing is a very powerful God, right? It's very powerful. To create the sun, which gives us all of our energy, is a very powerful thing, right? It's eternal because he created all those things that come from there, right, to, in our world. We just open our eyes and look around us. It's created. It's designed. And then second, he must be uh, some kind of deity outside our realm of understanding, our, our own humanity. So just by being honest and looking at creation, you can deduce that there's something, right? It's very powerful, it's very big, and it's a deity of some sort, right? It's, it's much bigger than humanity could create or put together. Um, so there's no excuse. That's what Paul's saying. There's no excuse. The purpose, yes. So, Steve, the pagans, um, didn't they, I mean, they believed that there were, they, they believed in nature, right? Yeah, and God. Gods, yeah, and right. Some God, that, oh, all these nature gods. So they didn't believe there was God. They just didn't know the one true God. Right, right. Well, and in fact, we'll, we'll. You're heading that way. Yeah, we're heading. Next couple of verses, he's going to talk exactly about that. How the, by the suppression of the truth, like we were saying, you have an imprint, a desire to be righteous. And so when you reject God, that desire doesn't go away. So you have to direct your tendency to worship God to worship something else, right? And that's what he's going to kind of charge them with, is that they're instead of worshiping the true God, they're creating these things in their minds to worship, because you have to worship something. And generally, you know, our culture tends to worship themselves, you know, or like, you know, whatever, celebrities and all these silly things, right? But that's a good question, right? Because atheism really wasn't around until Darwinian, uh, you know, uh, Darwin, Darwinian evolution came about, really. I mean, it's always been there in some form, but not nearly as a, as a, a large, you know, uh, a, a agreed upon belief system. And then it is really is a foolish position. I guess I would have more respect for somebody who believes in a Roman demigods than we just, you know, here it is. That doesn't make any sense to me either, you know. Um, okay, so the image of God in man is it gives people a measure of perception 
into some kind of spiritual truth, where there's something invisible, but it's powerful and it's bigger than anything I can imagine, right? So we know that um, a principle can be understood, and we kind of talked about this last week, that you can respond in one of two ways to that revelation, right? When that revelation is given and you look up and you see and you're honest, if you respond positively to that, God will give you more light, right? Um, but general revelation is not enough to save anyone, right? Because salvation comes by grace through faith in one person, his son, the person Jesus Christ, right? You have to have knowledge of who his son is and what he did, right? He was, he was died, is crucified, he was buried, and then he rose again according to the scriptures. Those facts have to be understood in order to have faith that he saved you, right? So that's the light that God can give to you if you respond positively. Um, okay, so God also knows when there's no response to the gospel, right? And so he, if, if you don't respond positively to the light you'll, and you respond negatively to the light, God also knows this, right? So are pagans lost if they die without the gospel? That's a question. Yes, right? It is. They're lost. Um, and just think about it. If, if somebody could be saved without hearing the gospel, should we send missionaries to them? No, no right? Because you're going to condemn them generally. You're going to, because they're going to reject the gospel. But they're, so we don't want to send missionaries if you could be saved without hearing the gospel. Like if there was just enough revelation out there, uh, to know there's God, is that righteousness? No, it's not righteousness. It's, God but, killed his son for no reason, and there's some other one. Right, that's, that's exactly right. Um, so that's, that's a, a concept we need to understand, that all human beings are conceived in sin and born in sin. They, li they live in sin. But if they respond positively to general revelation, the principle is God will provide light, right? More light. And so... That can make sense to somebody who says, I feel a calling, someone who lives in you know, Florida and says, I feel a calling to go to North Korea and spread the gospel. You know, it could be that someone responded positively in North Korea and given the light to somebody in Florida to say, I want to go there, right? And maybe the ministry is, is you know, fantastically diminished, but God sent one person to that one response of light, right? And we can see those things kind of work themselves out, right? The toughest, one of the toughest parts for our culture today, I'm sure, even as our kids grow up in this culture, is you know, I don't know the big word in vocabulary, like the postmodern thing where people don't believe in absolute truth and are, yeah, and like we need this because it's so countercultural to say this is, is the one and only way. That even in the 90s, I went to a Christian university and sat in a class where a professor and the, the name of the class was cultural Christianity <laughs> and the professor taught us at a Christian university how other places could get saved without Christ hmm. by their culture yeah you know and and it's, and they're and it's like I'm in a Christian <laughs> And it's like in that one class of my years of at, at 
at the university just like rubbed me the wrong way. Everything else seemed biblically accurate. That one class was just like, seemed like a professor just off on his own tangent that he believed in. Yeah. Like that's what was causing me in a Christian because of this stuff where uh, culture just doesn't believe in absolute truth anymore. But I think it's important, you know, for us as Christians to study this stuff and study the Word of God because otherwise we just get then led into right. whatever the culture says if we don't know, you know, what what the yeah. Right, it's a rejection of the knowledge of God. It's, a, it's taking some kind of knowledge and twisting it into something else, right? It's a rejection of knowledge. Now, that does lead into our, our, the next parts, is the rejection of knowledge, right? Um, so when the knowledge of God, general revelation, is rejected, it's a progressive degeneration that occurs. Um, and and it, it's, a, it's a result of continually rejecting it, and we're going to see this, this degradation. So let's read uh, 21 through 23, if you would. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being Right, so we see sort of this progression, right? He's gonna, he, Paul here spells out what happens when pagans fail to respond positively. Um, so they didn't merely possess theoretical knowledge, like you just can theorize it, but they had experiential knowledge, right? We read in verse 20 that they had experiential knowledge of God. Because his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So we jump down to 21, 22, and 23. Um, they failed to learn from the knowledge that was available to them and then respond positively. And through a series of progressive rejections, which we're going to see, it ultimately leads to degeneration, right? Degeneration. So we see the first step is that although they had access to experiential knowledge of God and could, could in, conclude that he exists and that he is very powerful, they did not glorify him as God. So that's the first step. The second step, they failed to give him thanks for what he had provided for them through general revelation, right? The sun is a gift of God. The moon is a gift of God. The hydrological cycle, the plant system, the animal kingdom, all these things are gifts to humanity to live and survive, right? That's the second step. The third step is their thinking. When I say they, we should include ourselves, right? Before we're saved. Um, the thinking of the Gentiles became futile. It's worthless, purposeless, right? Their reasonings are perverted and their speculations are selfish. That's the third step. The fourth step is the futile thinking then corrupts the mind, right? It corrupts the mind of the pagans before they move to the heart, right? So then your thinking is futile, and then as a result, your heart is darkened, right? It's, it's a foolish thinking process. It corrupts your mind, and it hardens your heart or darkens your heart. And then the fifth step is in verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they what? They become fools, right? So when the true source of wisdom is rejected, 
right? Psalms 111 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? You can't even, or no, well, there's two verses, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or the beginning of knowledge. So you really can't have absolute truth, absolute wisdom, absolute knowledge without first fearing the Lord, having a healthy respect for that general revelation that is there, right? They claim to be wise, but it's, it's empty. Their wisdom is empty. It's foolishness. So they progressively become fools, right? And then in verse, uh, the, the sixth step, as a result of this foolishness, uh, and they change the glory of the incorruptible God, that's verse 23, so they change it, right? So they don't want to be responsible to the Creator God, even though they're, He's obviously there, but they can't get away from this desire to worship, right? You can't get away from that. It's built in you. Um, they change the object of their worship. Instead of worshiping the true God, they change it into something else, right? They couldn't remove the light that is there, but they could keep rejecting it and keep rejecting it by continuing to reject it. That process degenerates them, right? And so they redirect their worship to another object, another God that they make up. And then verse seven, or the seventh step, is that uh, they change the glory of God into an incorrupt, in, in, they, they change an incorruptible God into the likeness of an image of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed beasts and creeping things. So they corrupt their perception of God, even though he is incorruptible, they twist their minds and their hearts become darkened and foolish that they have to worship something else. So they degenerate into idolatry, right? Idolatry is the end result of this sinful progression. You have to worship something. You either worship yourself or you worship, you know, the likeness of an image of a corruptible man, birds, four-footed thing, all the whatever, you know. Um, so they wanted to make images of things they couldn't see, so they make images of things they can see, right? Um, and fade, but these things die and fade away. So having made these images, they call them gods, little case G, gods, right? And then they begin to bow down to them. So idolatry is a common element in our world, in the pagan Gentile world. Idolatry is, the, is a common element, right? <clears throat> but it just doesn't immediately flow at the very beginning. It, it's a progression in the man's heart, right? You reject the light given to you, and then you go through these series of progressive degenerating sins, and it will lead you to worship something else, right? So they're not, but Paul is saying they're, they didn't do it out of ignorance. They did it because they had rejected the knowledge, right? That the knowledge was there. They willfully rejected what God had given them in general revelation. Yeah, we're good? Okay. <laughs> Gotta serve somebody. Oh, is that right? <laughs> Serves well. That's about right. Yeah, something or somebody you will bow your heart to. You know, you will submit yourself to. I was just thinking, you know, when the Israelites made that golden calf. Yeah. I mean, why? Why did they do that? I mean, they just passed the Red Sea. Right. And seen that Egypt, I don't know why. We, it's easy for us to look back and say, I, I think that they were wanted to fashion, and they, they couldn't see him, right? 
they, even though they did all the miracles, they still couldn't physically see him. And their, their, their practices and habits and all these things wanted something to gaze your eyes and gaze your hearts and maybe throw sacrifices and give your ox or whatever too, you know, something that, that you can tangibly receive. But that's not faith, right? That's, and that's, that's the challenge is our faith is do we, you know, faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we don't see, right? So we have to, we have to be certain of what we don't see and certain of what we hope for. That's the only thing that pleases God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is being sure of what you hope for, certain what you do not see. So those things go together. Pleasing God isn't in an image of God, even if it was a, you know, we see statues of Jesus all the time, and people do worship them, you know, and they kiss them, and they do all these things, and that's not pleasing to God. Uh, you know, I can't see of any case to their minds, they might think they're doing the right thing, right? They think I'm honoring Jesus. Well, how do you know what he looks like, and how do you know that right. that's, you know, it's like good goodness. Yeah, I, but that's a, the why questions are always hard to answer. <laughs> the hard, But I think if we understand ourselves, we can understand why, you know, we have a glimpse of why. I, I think that's a really good example, the, the statues that we have now because when they made the statues, they said, this is your God that brought you out of Egypt. Mm -hmm. So they just wanted something representing what those statues Yeah, yeah, they, 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 I think they think they're doing good. They, they think they're doing God good, right? But God says faith, and it's always faith, and that's our challenge. Our challenge is to remain faithful, right? Remain in the faith and not look for, because as we go through this, we're gonna, we'll, we should be able to see ourselves. Our tendencies are to look to, to paganism, to go to paganism in this, this way. So church is a very valuable thing as believers for us to keep us contained and our, in our, our minds contained, our hearts contained, to not easily wander and easily go, go away so we don't forsake the gathering together, you know? Okay, 24. Um, thank you. That, that's good conversation. Thank you. So, um, so now Paul's going to emphasize that God gave, as a result of all these rejections, God gives them up to something. He gives mankind up to something, right? And he explained the result of rejection of the knowledge of God. It will occur in three stages. This, what God gives them up to, will occur in three stages. So read verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Okay, so a specific result that came from the rejection of general revelation and the knowledge of God um, is, is this next section, right? The result is that God gives them up. Um, the Greek term here is parododemi, and it's a judicial sense. <coughs> it means to give into the hands of another or to give over into a, a, the power of another, right? One's power or use. So it's a judicial sense of saying you're moving, okay, so you're moving out of my power and I'm letting you go into the power of that, the other things, right? And the other things are sin and idolatry and all the other things that go on. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily imply that God just says, okay, fine, do your thing, do your own thing. No, he's actually saying, you're, out, you're taking yourself out of my power, and now you're going to be in the power, you're going to be under the power of your own flesh, under the power of the world, under the power of Satan's rule. Um, <clears throat> so he didn't, he didn't wish, withdraw his graciousness to them. 
he put them as a result of their own rejection under another one's power. Yeah? So it's like a judge who hands over a prisoner to the punishment his crime has earned, right? God hands over the sinner to the terrible cycle of ever-increasing sin. That's what a, a scholar said. He says, I should have said his last name is Mu. It says, like a judge who hands over a prisoner to the punishment his crime has earned, God hands over the sinner to the terrible cycle of ever-increasing sin. So it's an appropriate punishment. The judge is taking them from under the court protection while finding justice. He then moves them. Now you're going to prison, basically. He's just pushing them over to that area, right? It's an appropriate punishment for their rejection of the knowledge of God. So this uh, will lead to the first stage of degeneration, which is in the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. So when the pagans begin to worship false gods, their idolatry leads to sexual immorality. That's, what it, that's the very first thing happens, sexual immorality, right? That they're dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And many times you see Paul saying to the Gentiles, remain sexually pure, remain sexually pure, because their culture has was so far in, in idolatry that sexual impurity was the first sign of those things. Um, so the degeneration is the logical consequence of their action. So read verse 25. So in other words, they who, right, by virtue of their evil character, by rejecting general revelation over and over again in the progression of the degeneration of sin, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They had knowledge of this truth. It was manifested in their hearts and revealed to them in general revelation or through creation, yet they exchanged that truth for the lie of idolatry, right? namely worshiping creatures or other things uh, that the Creator had created, right? They're worshiping the creature rather than the Creator. And they, that's what they exchanged. They said that that was acceptable to worship the creation rather than the Creator. Their minds were futile, right? So that's the first stage of degeneration. Now we're going to see the second stage, verses 26 and 27. Um, so it's going to... Paul's going to delineate between what it means for women and what it means for men. So read verse 26. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations with those that are contrary to nature. So the, the degeneration process progresses, right? It goes from one sin to another sin. In this case, it's lesbianism. And then read verse 27. So because they, the pagans, the Gentiles who rejected the Lord, they exchange the truth of God for the lie of idolatry, he gives them over, both men and women, to vile or disgraceful sexual practices, right? So including homosexuality in all its forms. 
Therefore, consequently, they receive in themselves the due penalty of that consequence, that, that, that due error, right? Their error that they put themselves, they receive that due penalty because they chose those things <clears throat> from idolatry. Um, so that's the second stage of the downward spiral. Now the third stage is in verses 28 through 32. Um, so 28 is a summary statement. So read 28 if you would. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. Right, so as the pagans refused to accept the revelation of God, did not like to retain the Creator in their knowledge, God gives them up a third time in a sense, but this time it's to a, a depraved or debased mind, right? Um, the, the idea is that it's like someone failing a test um, in the sense that be, they are incompetent and unqualified to pass the test, so they're failing the test because they, they can't do it, right? They're incompetent and unqualified. Um, it, it, it proves that they are worthless because they can't, uh, they've been tested to do things, but they can't, they can't pass, they can't do it, right? Because their mind is debased, their, their thinking is futile, their hearts are degenerated, so it's, a, it's this debased mind that suggests that they are incompetent and unqualified to do anything valuable of any good, right? Um, <clears throat> and then it's expressing itself, that position, that mindset, expresses itself in actions and an attitude um, that's not appropriate for human behavior. And so then Paul then lists all these actions and attitudes as a result of this debased mind, as a result of the generation process, he lists these debased things uh, that are not appropriate for humanity to, to be involved in. Um, so let's just read the, the, the verses, read 29 through 31, and these are the attitudes and actions that happens to, to those who reject God. Thirty-one. Yeah, just read to Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Ruthless, right? So, being filled uh, means to to make full, be complete in these things, right? So, all these things they have been made full in those things. They understand the breadth of them. And, and to, to carry it out. So they know it and they fulfill it in those things. So they were consumed with these 21 actions and sins and, and attitudes. I'm just going to briefly discuss each one really quick and then we'll be done, okay? So um, unrighteousness, uh, it refers to the opposite of righteousness. It refers to the opposite of virtue, integrity, and character. Right, we went over unrighteousness. Um, and then evil, it's depravity, iniquity, malice, describes actions that are in opposition to God's will. Covetousness means uh, aggression, avarice, desire for advantage. Malice, meaning inerrant evil or vicious disposition, um, refers to a person taking pleasure in, in doing harm to another person. Envy is a holding grudge due to jealousy. Murder, we know murder, killing, and slaughter. Strife, contention, and wrangling. Deceit means uh, like a, 
trickery or deception. They're baiting somebody to, to do some kind of evil. Maliciousness, it's evil-mindedness, malevolence, <clears throat> evil-natured person, gossip, gossips, uh, secret slanderers, right? Sneaky things behind people's back, idle talk. Um, slanderers are backbiters, defamers, haters of God, those who abhor God and have totally turned against him. Insolent, it's uh, violent people who damage others by lashing out with a nasty spirit and who find pleasure in hurting them. I mean, really, when we turn on the news, we can see many of these things, you know, occurring regularly, right? Haughty is arrogant, proud, boastful. It's, uh, you know, basically imposters, you know, pretending to be something that they're not, right? Foolish enough to take them seriously. Inventor of evil things, they spend their time coming up ways to do more evil, right? <laughs> uh, disobedient to parents, uh, it's unbelievers, they're, they're, they're people who just can't be persuaded, foolish, unintelligent, without wisdom, unwise, faithless, meaning not willing to commit to anything good, right? Not covenanting or making do good on their word. Heartless, so they don't have a natural affection, right? They're unloving, <laughs> devoid of affection, are good things to people. And then finally, ruthless, um, just unpitying, cruel, uh, you know, a person who has no compassion for others. So. <clears throat> We could be any one of these things, right? Without the Lord in our heart, we are these things. This is a natural progression that all of us would take. Thankfully, the Lord in our heart sanctifies us against these things, right? And so we've got to, we've got to have a right attitude and be grateful that these things are not taking over our lives, that rather the fruits of the Spirit are taking over our lives, right? So, but this is the type of, degradation that it happens when people reject God and our culture is full of this it's without a doubt so good yeah. not good but you know <laughs> all right let me quickly close in prayer and father we're thankful we're grateful we're just uh, we're, we're so we can have peace because your holy spirit is sanctifying us lord and we ask that you would give us increased faith lord and that you would allow us to not quench the spirit that we would rightly think about you that we would rightly understand you and that your word would be a light into our feet and it would cleanse our path and it would cleanse our thinking and it would cleanse our actions lord so lord give us a hunger and a thirst to know you to be faithful to you and that you would increase our faith and that you would increase our discernment and that you would uh, go before us, Lord. But Lord, let us not be afraid and let us not be ashamed because we have the power of your gospel in us and it can change lives from the pagan idea to the godly idea, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.